where we'll be this morning. And uh, we're going to look at a lady that got busted this morning. And, and I want to ask you a question. What represents being caught to you? Is it the police officer that you happen to see when you're coming from Ringgold into Dalton and you make the turn around going towards Tunnel Hill and he's always sitting right there? And even if you're doing the speed limit, you still brake check just to make sure. Why? Because that guy's there to bust you if you're breaking the law. If you pull up at a red light and you see him behind you in your mind, you're wondering, okay, did he see me run that red light two weeks ago? It was pink. It was in between yellow and red, but I went on through. Is he here to bust me? Or if you don't wear your seatbelt like you should, you're kind of sneaking it on and talking to yourself so he doesn't see it, right? Why? Because a police officer represents being caught. He's also there to help you. Now, a lot of people have a view of God as this heavenly cop, don't they? They think, oh, God is just out to bust me. God's just out to catch me, to bust me, to make me feel like I'm a horrible person. He's there to shine the flashlight into the deepest, darkest part of my soul. If your view of God is that of a heavenly cop, you're going to distance yourself from him. But if your view of God is that of a savior, of a friend, you're going to want to embrace him. This morning in our story, we meet a notorious sinner, a lady who got busted. You see, as I was reading through this week the story of this lady, I realized that I'm no different than her other than my background is a little bit different. You see, I am a notorious sinner. At 21 years old, I found myself living in a place called Yakinville, North Carolina. If you've never heard of it, don't worry about it. Nobody's going to shame you this morning. It's actually Mayberry. Shazam! All right. <laughs> said Shazam in a sermon. That's a first. Um, I was actually living in Yakinville, North Carolina. I was sitting in church on a Wednesday night as a 21-year-old young man, and I began to hear in my mind and my soul speaking to me and saying, JC, you need a relationship with Jesus. You see, I was a very religious person. I had a checklist, if you will. Every time I would start to think, man, I'm good with God. I've got this checklist. Look, I mean, I've been to church. I've sung for him. I've preached at some big youth events and some big arenas. So check, check. I mean, I've never killed anybody. Check. I've never done drugs. So check. I mean, I'm a good person, right? I played Jesus in the Chattanooga Passion Play. I used to have this nice curly black hair, and I played Jesus in the Passion Play. You, you don't get more Christian than playing Jesus. My name is JC. <laughs> Thought so. See, I was religious. I had a lot of stuff going on, but on the inside, I was dying. There was a void that I was trying to fill with my checklist. I was very religious, but had no relationship. I was sitting in my car on old 601 Highway in Davis, North Carolina, Saturday morning. And it was at that point that I just gave up. I said, God, I can't do this anymore. I'm tired. I'm putting these masks on every time I go to church and when I'm around different people and I'm just worn out. I'm exhausted. This is tiring. I need you and only you. I don't care what name is made for myself. I don't care what I have to pretend to do. I'm turning from that, and I choose to follow you today. I give you the steering wheel of my life, and I'm saying, lead me. And at that moment, for the very first time in my life, it was as if I sensed his presence with me. The Bible says if any man, good, bad, or indifferent, be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away, and all things have become new. I wasn't bad. 
technically. I wasn't going to be on the news that night for killing somebody or murdering somebody, but I was a religious person, and I still needed Jesus. The best illustration I can give, as bad as it is, so bear with me, is the chocolate Easter bunnies you get at Easter time. They look chocolatey. They taste chocolatey. They even smell chocolatey. But what happens when you bite into it? It's hollow on the inside. It's exactly how I was, man. I had the look down, the act down, the, uh, the smell down, however Christians smell. But I looked like a follower of Christ, but I was hollow on the inside. And that day in my Jeep on old 601 Highway is as if God started over And he began to build me back up in his image, but this time he put himself inside. I'm a Cadbury now. You see what I'm saying? I got the feeling. told you it was a bad illustration. But that's what happened. It's like I became a new person. Why? Because I found Jesus. I was pursuing Jesus. In our story this morning, we meet a lady who was not pursuing Jesus. She was busted and thrown in front of Jesus. Maybe this morning you feel like you've been pushed to be here for whatever reason. Maybe you're here because mom and dad said you broke curfew one too many times and you've got to go to church with them. Or maybe you're here because that spouse or that special someone's been trying to get you to come to church. Or you got that friend that's been posting stuff on Facebook. you got to check out my church. you got to check out my church. You're like, okay, I'm here. And for whatever reason you're here this morning, maybe you will have something in common with the co-star of our event This morning. In John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, we meet a lady simply known as the adulterous woman. This lady is notorious for getting busted. In the first few verses, we see Jesus going to teach. It says in verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he went to the temple complex again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. So we see it's early in the morning. Jesus goes to the temple. And anytime Jesus teaches, we know there's a large crowd that's going to follow. Jesus is at the temple in early morning. It's a nice, peaceful morning, and he's teaching. Then the sounds of angry mobs starts coming towards them. The sounds of anger and rage and a woman pleading for mercy. As the voices get stronger, we read in verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees making this woman stand in the center who had been caught in adultery. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. You see, the teachers and the religious leaders, they didn't necessarily like Jesus at all. You may think Jesus is religious and these religious leaders would like him, but they didn't. They were only out to bust him. You know why? Because Jesus was teaching something that was radical. He was teaching a message that they didn't like. It went against their customs. It went against the traditions that they had set up. They had nothing to accuse Jesus of, and so they came up with a plan to trap Jesus. We see they bring this lady before him, caught in the very act of adultery. Now, the law of Moses said she should be stoned because of what she's done. And they think, hey, we've got him. Because if Jesus says, no, don't stone her, he breaks Mosaic law, which says she should be stoned because she sinned. But if he says yes, he also loses because Jews cannot carry out a stoning within Roman jurisdiction. So these teachers think, man, we've got him cornered, fist bump. Man, he ain't going to get out of this one. 
But then Jesus does something that nobody expected. Look what he says. He stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they kept persisting and questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Do you notice here that Jesus refuses to step into the role of judge? What these teachers don't understand is that Jesus puts people before practices. These guys think they got him cornered. There's no way he's going to get out of this one. We're going to get him here. And Jesus turns the tables. He says, the one without sin be the first to cast a stone. Why? Because Jesus' central theme of his teaching was to love one another, not law one another. Here this woman is in all of her guilt and all of her shame, deserving nothing but a stoning. You've got to imagine the drama in that moment. The crowd yelling, give us an answer, teacher. The men crying out for a stoning. They weren't worried about the lady's sin. No, she was bait for a bigger fish. She was just a means to an end. If they would have been serious about being worried about her sin, they would have brought the man with her, but they brought her alone. Can you imagine the guilt, the shame caught in the very act of committing adultery and now standing in the center of everyone? People with rocks in their hands saying, hey, you say the word, teacher, and this is coming. you got to imagine that in that day and age, there was not the social media and the things that we have. A stoning was the prime thing. A stoning was what they looked forward to. Like, hey, did you hear there's going to be a stoning today? Like, whoo, I got a good rock on the way to Mount Olive High School the other day. I Look here, it's a good rock, right? They've got it in their hands, and they are ready to chuck it as soon as Jesus says, stoner, but he doesn't. Why? Because he refuses to step into the role of judge. Capable? Yes. Willing? No. He didn't condone the lady's sin. He says, stone her. But you without sin cast the first stone. Notice verse 8. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Jesus stooped back down. We don't know why he stooped back down. We don't even know what he wrote in the sand. Maybe he was drawing an arrow to the accusers and pointing out their sins as he's writing them down. It's a good thing for those guys that I wasn't Jesus in that day because if I was, I'd have had a PowerPoint presentation. I'd have been like, hey, Smith over here, what you're doing with Jones's wife? Busted, buddy. Oh, we saw what you did last night, Philip. Yeah, uh-huh, look at here. But I'm not him. And they can be thankful that Jesus just wrote in the sand. Was he writing God's original plan for this lady? A life of love and of joy and of right relationships? We don't know what he wrote in the sand. We don't know why he stooped back down and wrote in the sand. Maybe it was to make eye contact with the lady and all of her guilt and all of her shame. Standing there had just been busted hard. And he makes eye contact with her just to hear the stones hit the ground. Maybe he stooped back down to not add more guilt to the shame that all of the people around her were confessing that they were not perfect and they had sin in their life as they dropped the stones and started walking away. Maybe it was to write God's original plan for her down. 
Whatever it was, I like what he says. It's not important what he wrote in the dirt. What's important is what he says. Look, has no one condemned you? In verse 11, she says, no one, Lord. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. That's powerful. He simply says, not guilty. He, he didn't get up and say, hey, why, why could you do this? What were you thinking? No, he gets up and says, woman, has no one condemned you? Now, that may seem a little harsh that he got up and called her woman, but you got to understand, in John 2, he calls his mother woman. It's a term of endearment. He didn't get up and say, hey, I can't believe you adulterous woman. How dare you do that? No, he says, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She says, no, and I love what Jesus does. He says, go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. You notice Jesus focuses on the future. He doesn't bring up the past. He doesn't add more guilt to her shame as she stands there, busted. No, he says, go, and from now on, don't sin anymore. Jesus was the only one who could pardon her of her sins because he's the only one who's going to go to the cross and take her sins on himself. This lady is a notorious individual in scriptures. We don't know her name. We don't know where she was at before this. We don't really know where she went after this. She's notorious for getting busted. What she was doing that she thought was in secret was brought to light. And she met the only one who could forgive her of her past and of her present and change her future. We don't know where this lady went after this. We don't know if her life was changed, but you've got to understand that account after account after account in Scripture, when people meet the grace of God, when people meet the forgiveness of God, their lives are changed. You have to imagine her lust was changed to love. Her desire for intimacy was changed to a real relationship in a moment, in an instant. Her life was changed. Why? Because you have an encounter with God and he will leave your life changed. One encounter with a holy God will do more for you than a thousand sermons ever will. One encounter with God will leave your life changed and set you on a journey of a life that is pursuing a relationship with Jesus. Maybe this morning you're here and you hear her story and you say, man, I can kind of identify with this lady. Uh, there's been a time in my life that I got busted. There's been a time in my life that I thought the stuff that I was hiding, nobody would ever find out. It hit the fan. In one moment, everything I had done came out. And I tell you this, there is nothing that you could ever do that will shock God. He knows who you are this morning. And here's what he says to you. I love you. Not guilty. Maybe you're a religious individual like I was. You're playing this whole church thing. Maybe your past haunts you every day. Maybe you think, I'm too far from God's grace. What I've learned is when you come to the end of your road, there is Jesus. There is no deep too deep that he is not deeper still. And maybe you're standing there, 
and you say, man, God is a judge. He only wants to bust me. He only wants to shine that flashlight into the deepest, darkest part of my soul and bring out everything so everybody can laugh at me. That's not what God wants to do. He wants to forgive you. Maybe this morning you can't identify with my story. You can't identify with this lady's story. We wanted to show you a, a video of a young man who's part of us here at Rockbridge Community Church. This guy's name is Daniel Hopkins. Many of you have heard Daniel lead worship before. Daniel's a goofy fella, man. He's like a chihuahua on a Red Bull all the time. Uh, he, he, uh, he has this goofy smile, and he always comes in. He's like, what up, Bobby? I'm like, hey, hey, Daniel, good to see you, man. He's goofy. But there's something different about Daniel. And a couple of weeks ago, I sat down, and I said, Daniel, tell me your story. And Daniel began to share. And it's a story of a beautiful picture of grace. Imagine a man with no reason for living, no hope of going again. Then picture a world where Jesus, the master artist, comes in and paints a beautiful picture of grace. Watch Daniel's story. It'll change your life. It's awesome. When I got in ninth grade, I was 15. I had my first drink, and I loved it. Um, you know, I found my first love. That was, that was what I wanted. I wanted to stay in that state 24-7 uh, for the rest of my life. And I would have been very happy about that. Dropped out of school and, you know, I was, I was drinking constantly. Like it was, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning, wake up at 17, 18 years old because I had shakes. And, you know, I would get off work and, you know, it would be, hey, let's party drink as much as possible until you pass out and reach oblivion. Um, and that went on for a couple of years. You know, that went on for a lot of my late adolescent, you know, my late middle teens. So then I, you know, I got really sick when I was 21. Uh, my pancreas just gave up. Um, it stopped working multiple, multiple times. It stopped working. And it was all a direct result of alcohol abuse. Um, when I was 27, I got locked up after multiple failed attempts at suicide. Uh, one in particular, right there at the end, and uh, spent about a year in county lockup. So in jail, you know, jail has a way of making you compliant and making you surrender. And I was ready to stop doing it on my own. Like, I was ready to stop, and I, you know, I gave God this, not an ultimatum. I, I never at one, at ever at any point said, God, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you, or there was never that time, there was never that struggle. I just said, God, make me who I need to be, you know, form me into whatever you want me to be, because obviously my way of doing things is horrible, and I'm failing. Um, so I got out of jail and got sent to Dalton to this rehab. And I went to work, and I had some peace in my life, and I wanted more. Um, you know, God led me to Rockbridge, and I walked in, and I sat. And there was a few weeks, a few months went by of just listening on Thursday night. And when when Matt was preaching, and, and I don't remember the particular moment because it's been a little while but I do remember thinking God go I've forgiven you now act like it 
You know what I mean? Live like you're redeemed. I have given you everything, and, and, you know, your inheritance is the kingdom of heaven. Go and change the world. You know, and so these doors started opening, and um, I can sing for God. You know what I mean? Like, that was, whenever I started singing, it made me happy. And now I feel like, you know, I can sing and I can bring worship to God. And I'm the most unworthy person to ever be able to do that. When you hear me sing, oh, because of Jesus, I'm alive. I want to always preface that with, I'm not just being metaphorical. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not saying it's all because of Jesus, I'm spiritually alive. It's all because of Jesus, I'm breathing. Um, a lot of times people say, you seem like you're happy to be here. I'm happy to be anywhere. I'm happy that God has given me lungs that still breathe and a body that still works well enough to where I can praise Him. My name is Daniel Hopkins. I'm a recovering addict. I've been clean four and a half years. There is no sin too great for God's grace. There is no habit too big for his healing. And there is no label too strong for his love. There is nothing that can separate us from God's love. And this morning, what I want to challenge you to do is to internalize this a little bit. Turn the mirror on yourself. Maybe there's some stuff that you're dealing with that you've not been busted on. Maybe there's some stuff in your life that is holding you back. Here's what you can do. One of three things that you can do with that sin that's in your life is one, you can deny it. You say, oh man, I don't have that in my life. There's nothing wrong. There's, there's nothing going on. You deny it. It makes you hard. It will make you callous. Or you can focus on it. Man, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe at that point in my life, it may have been 15 years ago, but you still focus on it, and it sucks the life out of you. God could never use me because of this sin that I did. Or you can explore it and confess it and move on. Because you see, what you've got to understand is that there is a thief, the devil, who's an enemy of God, who wants you to deny the sin in your life, who wants you to focus on it, because he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Oh, but Jesus came that you can have life, and you can have life more abundantly. And you know what he came to do? Here's what Jesus wants to do for you. He wants to replace your guilt with grace. Grace is undeserved love. It's undeserved favor. He wants to replace your guilt with grace. Romans 6.14 says, Sin is no longer your master. Instead, you are freed by God's amazing, sweet grace. He not only wants to replace your guilt, but he wants to replace your shame with that same grace daily. Guilt says, I can't believe I did this. Shame says, you don't belong at that church. Shame says, you are so unworthy. Everybody knows what you've done. That's what shame says. You know what grace says? You're freed and you're forgiven. Look at this verse. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, to, 
And this gives him great pleasure. The best word that I can use that's in that verse right there is adoption. He takes you in the muck, in the mire. He specializes in lives that are ruined and seem to be wasted. And he forms something beautiful out of them. He takes the good, the bad, and the ugly and puts it into the cosmic blender of time and turns it on. You may feel like everything is flying everywhere, but he's making something beautiful out of something that seemed to be hopeless. I love it. It says so we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. All because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross in making us friends of God. There's a verse in John chapter 3 and verse 16 that pretty much every one of us can quote. If you've been in church your whole life or maybe this is your first time in church, you've heard this verse. And I absolutely love it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you understand something this morning? God just doesn't kind of love you. God just doesn't merely love you. God so loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. Following Jesus in Christianity really is a no-brainer to me because Jesus took my sin on himself. I was watching the History Channel the other night, and there was a story of a young man named Michael Fay. Michael Fay, 20-plus years ago, went on a youth, comp- youth trip with his senior class to the country of Singapore. While they were in Singapore, Michael said, we got bored. He said it was late at night, and we got bored, and we found some spray paint in this building that we were in. He said, hey, I got an idea. Now, I was a student pastor for 11 years, and I know that no good ideas really come with spray paint in the middle of the night. It's, it's not going to be a good idea. Michael Fay said, hey, let's go, let's go paint something. And so his account of the story is that he walked outside and they seen a van sitting across the street. They said, hey, it's dark, nobody's around, let's go spray paint the side of this van. And so they go over and they started vandalizing the side of the van with spray paint. He said, we got busted. The Singapore police pulled up and took us to prison. He said, there I was sitting in prison, knowing that I was guilty of vandalizing in this country where you can get arrested really easy. And he said, I was worried about what my sentence would be. He said, as my sentencing day came, they sentenced me to 10 lashings with a wet cane stick. He said, it didn't seem that bad, and so I wasn't really that worried until the day of my punishment came. They took me to the city square. They stripped me of my clothes and hung me on a cross in the shape of an X by tying my hands and my feet to this cross. He said, and then a guy came out with a 10-foot-long wet cane stick, and the first lashing went about two inches into my skin. He said, ah, at that moment, I never wanted to touch paint again. He said, 10 lashings later, because of the pain, I was put in a coma state in the hospital. He said, I almost died. When I woke up, my dad was standing there, and then his dad begins to speak and said, I flew to Singapore. I tried to take my son's punishment for him. I told them, hey, this is my son. I love him. Please let me take my son's punishment. They said, sir, we're sorry. Your son did the crime. Now he has to pay for his punishment. There's no way that you can take your son's punishment for him. He said, all I wanted to do was show my son I loved him by taking his punishment for him, but they wouldn't let me. 
Man, as I sit there and I watch that, my heart begin to swell as I think of my Savior, Jesus, who took not only my sin, but the sin of the whole world on himself that day. He who knew no sin became sin for us all. As he hung on the cross, every thought that I have that's not right, that's not good, the things I can't face up to because of what I've seen and what I've heard, the times I've turned my back on him and I've walked away, the feelings of hate and bitterness and rage and anger that I have inside of me, the things that I've done with my hands, the places I've gone with my feet are covered by the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Not going to church all the time. Not being good enough, not having your checklist. No, the only thing that can wash away our sin is the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood is the only thing that can wash away past, present, and future. Maybe this morning you're here and you say, oh man, I've heard your story. Maybe you identify with mine. You're religious. This is just a game that you play every Sunday. This is kind of your spiritual car wash so you can go live however you want. Check that off the list for this week. I don't have to go back till next Sunday. You're just a religious person. You have no relationship. Maybe your story is like the adulterous woman. You've been busted. Everybody knows what you've done. Maybe you're like Daniel. You've lived life totally wide open with reckless abandon until it almost took your life. No matter where you're at this morning, can I tell you this? We're all in need of the saving grace of Jesus. In this room right now, at any of our campuses, there's three types of people. There's the sold out, there's the searching, and there's the stumbler. If you're in here this morning and you're a seeker, you're checking this whole God thing out, man, we are glad you are here with us today. If you're a seeker today, you say, hey, I don't really have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe this is your first time in church and you're like, I'm checking this whole God stuff out, man. We are so glad that you're here with us and we want to help you. One, we want you to continue to ask questions, investigate truth. I'll stand before you as a church to say, we will do whatever we can do to help you on this journey of investigating truth. Stop by the Connections booth at any of our campuses and say, hey, I'm checking this God stuff out. Can you give me some stuff that will help me learn? We'll help you. That's what we want to do. We want you to investigate truth. So if you're a seeker, keep coming back. Keep investigating truth for yourself. Ask questions. If you're a stumbler, you've given your life to Christ at one time or another, you're a follower of Christ, but you just seem to be surface level. You're kind of going through the motions. Here's what I want to challenge you to do is quit the quits. Quit saying, oh, God would use me if I just quit this. I would have a vibrant relationship with Jesus if I could quit doing this. Quit the quits and just pursue Jesus. Just pursue Jesus. And for those of you in here this morning that are sold out, you have a relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus is more than just a Sunday morning sitting in an hour message. Your relationship with Jesus is growing and is vibrant. Here's what I challenge you to do. Drop the rocks. Drop the rocks. Jesus came and put people over practices. You say, well, hey, he, he hates that sin, so he must hate that sinner. No, drop the rocks. Love like Jesus would love and show them a Savior who's come to heal and to forgive. Drop the rocks. Making it personal is simply pursuing Jesus. 
No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Everything can be summed up in this one verse, Romans 8.1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. Simply put, not guilty. It doesn't matter what you walked in here with this morning, God knows. And he wants to wipe the slate clean and say, hey, not guilty because my son Jesus went to a cross and took your sin on himself. A life with Jesus versus a life without Jesus is the difference between snorkeling and scuba diving. When you snorkel, you put on weird flippers. You wear a weird looking mask that has a blowhole that goes above the water. And you're just in knee deep water. You're kind of floating around looking at everything below you. Oh, that's a cute fish. Or Wow, there's some coral down there. It's real pretty. But when you scuba dive, man, you got to take a class. You got to learn the differences between the, the depths of the water and the temperatures of the water. You learn the regulators on your tanks on your back. You get a cool outfit, not just flippers and a blowhole. You get a cool outfit. And you explore the deeps. You're down amongst it. You get to see things you've never seen when you're just on the surface level. Many people just float along on the surface level because you're held back by something that you've done or something that you're in. When Jesus is saying this morning, hey, explore the depths. Pursue me. I want a relationship with you that will blow your mind. This morning, if you're in here and you say, you know what, man, I want that relationship with Jesus, you can have that. You can begin that journey this morning. It doesn't matter if you're a seeker, a stumbler, or a sold-out individual. What you've got to do is understand your place in the rejection and in the rebellion of Jesus. And understand that God is just and God is holy. And because of that, he can't look over our rejection and our rebellion, but because God is love. He cannot leave us in our helpless, hopeless situation, separated from him. And so God sent his son Jesus to step into history, to die a criminal's death, to be buried, and to rise again to give you life and to give it more abundantly. So no, no matter what you're in right now, no matter where you've been, he wants to forgive you. Maybe you feel like this notorious sinner from Scripture today who's been busted. Know that Jesus stands before you and says, not guilty. This morning, we want, to, we want to go before the throne of the Father and say, hey, that's me. I choose to follow Jesus today. If that's the decision that you make, would you let us know about it? Because we want to celebrate with you. We want to help you as you begin this journey with him. When this service is over, there'll be people down here at the front. You can go to the, any of the connections booth and say, hey, I want to start a relationship with Jesus today. Explore the deeps. Pursue Jesus. And know that he stands before you not as a judge, but as one that says not guilty by the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for the mercy and the grace that only you could freely give to us. Father, we're thankful for the story of this lady in Scripture who really didn't pursue a relationship with you. 
A, a lady who was not wanting to have an encounter with you, but was thrown in front of you that day. And maybe her story is only in Scripture for us this morning. Father, if there's one here this morning that feels like they've been busted, they've been caught, that nobody could love them, nobody could forgive them, nobody can look past their past, that you stand before them and say, I love you, I forgive you, and I long to have a relationship with you. Father, I pray this morning that you will help us in our coming to you. God, we don't come with life altogether. There's many that are broken, beaten, crushed, bruised, but God, we're coming this morning. And I ask that you meet us in our coming to you, that you will change our lives from the inside out. As we learn what it means to fall under the amazing, sweetest, most fantastic, phenomenal, awesome grace that we don't deserve, that is favor that we don't deserve, but you freely give it. Father, we love you. Thank you for grace that saved notorious sinners. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. This has been an RFP Extra. Check back next week for a full Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Join us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Visit our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. T-shirts available now.